Hey everybody, Dave Ryan here, host of Link to the Cast, coming at the very start of the program to explain to you the very unique situation we have with this week's program. Obviously we didn't have a podcast last week. Uh, during this show, myself and Jack do talk about the technical difficulties that led to problems with that show. Um, but it never rains, but it pours here over at Link to the Cast because we had a fresh set of just hideous technical difficulties this week now thankfully we recorded each side of our conversation rather than just a skype call so it doesn't the the quality of the show sounds okay you'll notice some points at which uh jack takes a little while to respond to me or i talk over him a little bit and that's because um owing to issues we still don't quite understand uh Jack's reception and ability to hear me and my ability to hear him got considerably worse as the show went on uh, to the point that by the end of the news we literally couldn't hear each other at all. Um, So that's why there's no book club with the show this week. We were going to talk about Metal Gear Solid 4 and we were going to talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 last week uh, with special guest Keith Brony. But what I think we're going to do is we're putting up this show now, obviously. Uh, It's just what we've been playing this week and the news. And at some point down the line, when Keith Brony has returned from his holidays that he's on at the moment, myself, himself, and Jack are going to sit around the virtual fireside and talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 and 4 together in a special episode that we'll put out in addition to whatever that week's link to the cast is. Um, As we go on to say in the show, we're all pretty sure that's because uh, Mark cursed us. But anyway, please do enjoy uh, what exists of Link to the Cast 119, Technical Difficulties Edition. episode 119 from your friends at linktothecast.eu available on all your favorite podcasting platforms apple podcast soundcloud podcast addict and stitcher i'm your party host dave ryan mark robinson is away on assignment so i am joined by my ever faithful replacement co-host the roman reigns of audio jack lazell jack how are you this evening i'm not bad mate I am uh, high-fiving some people, and some people are refusing to high-five me. That's just life, though, isn't it? It's all a story of different high-five preferences. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, a differ- it's a difference of high-five preferences, and then you die. That's what people always say about life. Exactly, yeah. You can quote me like the highest philosopher on the planet. Well, Jack, we missed the show last week. Not for want of trying, though. Um, we, we were all sat round the virtual table. Yourself, myself, the good, our, our good friend, friend of the show, Keith Brony, was going to make his debut appearance on the show, and it all fucking went to hell. And I can't wait for the smugness next week, Jack, of Mark Robinson saying, "Oh, as soon as I left, it all fell to pieces." But it just, it just wasn't happening last week, was it? No, I, I actually blame him personally. I feel like he put a curse on us. 
<laughs> I I mean, it's as good a theory as any. My laptop completely shit the bed. Um, all the programs I use to like record and and sound mix and stuff like that, it all caved in. Uh, it was a bad time here. You maybe get... he has ocelot like powers to uh, to hack <laughs> into your laptop <laughs> and you know just take control of everything. Just as yeah. a preview of what's going to be talked about at the end of the show, which I'd imagine everyone already knows because they would have clicked on the episode title, right? Indeed, yeah. Uh, like we were going to do the other uh, game that we haven't done before in this franchise last week, and I think maybe uh, Mark just put a curse on the podcast to make sure that Majora's Mask got in before we finished all the Metal Gear games. Um, so point to him on that one, I think. Uh, but technical difficulties aside, how, how are things going? Uh, do anything? See anything recently? I've seen a lot of things. I've done quite a few things as well, but do you want me to talk about them all? Uh, or is there one thing that you're specifically referencing that you would like me to talk uh, I'm, about? I'm not referencing anything in particular. Give me give me any sort of like uh, highlight of your week uh, that, that you've had so far, because I have... I have a couple of stories, but uh, what have you been up to? Oh, right. Oh, is it? Is it like that person that walks up to you and they're like, oh, how are you? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. But oh, no, but so I'm going to talk about me now because what I want to say <laughs> well, this is, is the, you know, those sort this, of people. This is the loosening ourselves up portion of the show where, yeah, we're kind of in the back of our heads waiting to respond with our own anecdote. But at the same time, we want to kind of get loose, chat up, see where, see how everybody's doing, see how their week has been. So, uh, yeah. Uh, any uh, tales of grandeur and excitement? <laughs> grandeur and excitement? No, I watched two of the worst football games I've seen live in a long time <laughs> in the space <laughs> of the three days. I watched this draw nil nil Chelsea. This is with Leon last night. I watched us lose two nil in the Community Shield on Sunday. Um, so football is back, and I'm already not pumped about it. <laughs> uh, but who knows what will change when the season starts? Yeah, um, I've I've eaten some nice uh, curries in the last couple of days. Other than that, mate, it it really is just a, I, It's just been so hot, Dave. I just don't oh. really want to do anything like because imagine how hot it is in ireland right and then crank like five degrees on it and then put yourself in a metal box hundreds of meters below the ground carting around at like 50 60 mile an hour with a bunch Mm -hmm. of other people sweating farts in it and that's kind (laughs) of been my life traveling through london in the past week or so yeah that's the thing the heat is back with a vengeance but both here and there and uh on that note oh yeah it's a sip of Coke Zero for the working man. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm not too hyped for the football season either, my friend. <laughs> we Not to turn this into a mini away goals podcast or a special edition of Link to the Cast, but, uh, yeah, my, my, my team has not had a, a fun summer. Tumultuous and eventful, for sure, but... Uh, I am I, I'm hoping that things aren't as bad as I think they're going to be, but I think they might be exactly as bad as they're going to be. Um, we shall see as the season develops, uh, as you say yourself. Who knows? Maybe you should sign Tom Cruise. I watched Mission Impossible and realized that Tom Cruise is the ultimate man. Uh, what, what, what a motion <laughs> He was picture. created in a laboratory to be an absolute lad. Just, like, <laughs> fucking packaged up to be a geese. Com- composed of pure it. ladium exactly whatever is in him i mean aside from being in mission impossible he's a complete nut bar 
to quote Wayne's World, but like in those films, I'm just like, this guy is fucking awesome. They they literally fought two helicopters crashing against each other in the air, and yeah. not only was I on board, but I was actively on the verge of shouting, "Fucking get him, Tom Cruise! Knock the mustache off his face!" <laughs> I, it's it's gotten to a certain point where, like, in, in instead of uh, playing his character in Mission Impossible, he should just be playing the role of Tom Cruise in it. Um, it was a really, really good film. Um, of that new trilogy of Mission Impossible films, it's definitely the best one. Um, a lot of people talk about whether they prefer Ghost Protocol or Rogue Nation. Well, I think the argument is over now for the new films, now that we've got this one. Um, just, just like yeah. two hours of switch your brain off, dumb action. Exactly. The thing about Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation is they both sound like they could have been albums released by the Prodigy. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> when they're at the height of their, yeah, exactly. When they're at the height of their dance metal powers. Um, but yeah, it, it that was a really good time as well so yeah i mean i've been doing stuff but yeah it's uh it's just just been so unbearably hot that like most of the things that i've enjoyed doing have been like getting back home and switching the air conditioner (laughs) on in my house (laughs) i am what a sad old man i've become yeah so i i've had a bit of a like a a kind of uh an up and down week up because i'm like so, appearing behind the curtain, this is something we talked about yesterday, um, just privately, and the idea that, like, I've been waiting around for a long time to get, like, some sort of uh, employment involved in, like, my, my chosen profession of teaching or working with young people, and it had been fucking ages since there'd been a sniff of anything, and without getting into the, the details of it, um, literally now, it's all fucking, it's feast or famine. Now I am kind of, like stuck between uh weighing up two different things so that's been fun when you have those kind of adult decisions uh to reckon with in your week and then yesterday jack i got fucking mauled right you've been to my house before correct i have uh you've met my cat correct yeah that shit is crazy he is one crazy bastard. Yeah, he, he's crazy, but you wouldn't call him aggressive in any way. Just, like, hyperactive, generally speaking, would be the best way to describe him, correct? Mental is how yeah. I would describe him. So, um, one of the things about my cat, Hobbs is his name, uh, because I am a nerd, uh, is he is agoraphobic. Um, and that comes from he he was rescued as a kitten... Uh, his litter was left out to die in a field and loads of them were picked off by foxes. Um, so he has a really, really bad fear of open spaces and uh, stuff like that. So anytime he'd get out of the house by accident when he was a kitten, um, we'd find him like clung to a wall on the outside of the house, uh, ter- terrified for his life. But uh, over the last couple of months, he's expressed more of an interest in going outside. And that's fine, I like to encourage that, because that means I, he, he's shitting outside the house, I don't have to change the litter box half as much. However, he's not used to going outside the front of the house yet, where there's obviously more traffic, more noise, and things like that. So that still freaks him out whenever he goes out. He went out yesterday, Jack. He, he ran out the front door uh, when Emma, my partner, came home. She didn't see him, he darted out past her. 
And after about 20 minutes of trying to cajole him out from underneath the car in the driveway, he eventually got brave enough to go to, you know, there's a giant bush at the end of my driveway, like a, a big, tall kind of like bush tree sort of situation going on. He, he goes and sits under there. And Jack, I want you to have, do you have Facebook Messenger open there beside you? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the cat loves me, generally speaking. Like, he, he will walk beside me, he will look for cuddles off me, things like that. Um, He was terrified for his life, and he was under the hedge, and I went to go with a bit of chicken, mind you, to be very nice to him, a bit of roast chicken. I went to go and lure him out. Uh, and this is what he did to my arm. Just sending those along to you now for your enjoyment. Oh my goodness me. Yeah, like, I feel like you need to tweet them out so people can appreciate Yeah, I might do. The, uh... Pretty much from my thumb to my elbow is lacerated. Um, I've got, like, a really nasty... Th- I didn't take a picture of the third wound because my arm was so sore I didn't even notice the third wound. So I've got one on the knuckle for my thumb because that's where his teeth bit in. And then all up and down from from wrist to elbow is where his claws got into me. Uh, and like I just Emma from from upstairs heard the noise of him because he started hissing and wailing when he was doing it as I was trying to lift him into the house um, and she came in to say, to say oh my god did you hear Hobbs outside because she thought I was inside and she came down and I was in the hall with an arm covered in blood um, uh. yeah it was a fucking good time and then I had to put disinfectant on it which is mm, <laughs> it's I know. Uh, yeah. Oh, I remember that from like when you're a kid and you skin your knee or whatever, and you you have to put disinfectant, like I don't know, whatever. Yeah. It just it it it's horrible. Yeah. Like it, you almost just rather it go septic yeah, yeah, you than would. have to do that. Oh, it was real bad. It actually reminded me of a time uh, in college where a friend of mine, Wayne, who lived with us, had never heard about I like how stuff that disinfects stings you. I don't know how he got to nineteen or twenty years old without knowing that. So he, uh, you know, sometimes if you like, if you do a slide tackle on an all weather pitch, it like the friction uh, off the, the fake grass will like erode your skin, basically. So, yeah. so he had a big open wound, I'd say about the size, ooh, I don't know. I will say about like five or six centimeters in diameter, like a real big, like the skin was just gone and it was raw and it was a little bit bloody. Um, and I said to him, oh, do you know what will sort that out? And I was saying it as a joke because I didn't know he didn't know. I said, do you know what will sort that right out is if you pour this vodka on it. <laughs> and he went, oh, oh, really? I said, oh, yeah, it makes you feel it makes you feel loads better. And I, I, I may send them to you later because I'd have to go dig them up. But I have basically like a stop motion series of photographs of him sitting down pouring the vodka on his leg and nearly passing out from the pain. <laughs> it was uh, absolutely fabulous. But uh, yeah, so I... Maybe we now know why Hobbs got you. It was like retribution yeah. from all those years Car- ago of making your friend burn himself. <laughs> Karmic retribution from about eight years ago, for fuck's sake. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we're here to talk about video games, so so let's get into it. Are we? Because <laughs> it's, it's debatable yeah. at this point. Probably speaking, anyway. Let's give it a go. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. 
Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. Jack, what have you been playing lately? I have been playing a whole lot of... Not a lot. Um, so I've kind of been like finishing off bits and pieces of games. Uh, Mario Tennis, I've played quite a bit of. Uh, but I suppose Mar- Mark has kind of spoken about that. Um, I really enjoyed Mario Tennis's wacky RPG strange main game concept. Like, I thought that was really cool. Um, but after that, there's, like, really nothing to the game. And there's obviously, like, there's a lot of, you know, online tournaments and stuff you can do. And, like, there are some people that are super, super good. And then some people that are just terrible. And then, like, I'd say maybe one in five, six games is, like, a genuinely competitive, fun game that I enjoy. But you can't even play a proper tennis match in it. Like, you can't play, like, a, you know, first to six sets or a tiebreaker thing or whatever. It's just, like, weird. Oh, here you go. Here's, like, two sets. If you win by two sets, you win it. And and I find that odd as well. Like, I, I don't really get what's going on there. But, yeah, Mario Tennis, I, I've enjoyed it quite a bit, but... I just kind of I'm at a loss now for like what to do in it and yeah I've got Captain Toad's uh, treasure tracker like queued up and ready to go to play that as well but yeah I haven't haven't been really playing an awful lot of new stuff that you haven't talked about would you go as far uh, as Mark did like Mark was very harsh on the game not only saying like you did that there's not very much to do in terms of making a real tennis match or something like that he was very very down on it do you think he was maybe from your point of view a bit overly negative do you, are you a bit kind of warmer about the game or would you be pretty much in line with what he said <laughs> that doesn't sound like him at all um no <laughs> i i liked it i i liked the rpg element to it i thought it was fun um but it's like a momentary distraction it's not like something that i'd sink an awful lot of time into it which is weird because when i initially started playing the online tournaments when they did like the preview weekend i absolutely loved it and, and i thought it was really fun but yeah it it's got to the point where those online things that some people are so good and i just I, I can't be bothered to play it as much as i'd need to to get that good to beat them so there's not a lot of joy there really i think it would be great game to sort of play multiplayer with your friends though but just unfortunately like all the people that i know that have it either live with you in ireland or like miles (laughs) away and i i unless i hook up with them online it's just not happening yeah and lord knows nintendo don't make it easy for you to play with people online at the best of times oh god they don't know (laughs) um yeah, I, I've been kind of having a, a Switch-based week myself here. Um, I, I started to dig in a little bit to Octopath Traveler, the uh, the Square JRPG that uh, came out there not too long ago, um, where you can kind of... It's not so much... Um, so the way they make it sound is like that there's eight distinctly different paths and everything is... is is very different and you control your own destiny and stuff like that but what it seems to be more of is that there's kind of eight different perspectives on the same larger narrative um so like sometimes it seems like one character's path may intersect with another for a while so it's not eight completely different um 
stories as you may be led to believe by some of the marketing around it but um i kind of just went with um i can't remember the guy's name now but i went with kind of like the most basic all-rounder kind of like the equivalent in in some kind of uh, medieval rpgs of like the paladin class where it's like this guy's an all-rounder like i don't usually do kind of like particularly uh sneaky tactics or magic based attacks or anything like that i just go for a nice all-rounder just while i kind of give the game a feeling out um and i really really like and you've probably seen this as well jack just looking at a couple of images of it even um the aesthetic of this game is great with the kind of like 3d backgrounds and um 2d pixelated sprites rendered in them uh moving around in the world like that feels really cool i think much like a lot of jrpgs the game starts very very slow there's a lot of cutscene, a lot of prologue going on in my narrative at the moment trying to explain who this guy is where he's at um and try and teach you the systems at the same time um but once you get through that it's it's classic square uh kind of uh jrpg um You've got a really immersive world. There's a lot going on at any one time. Um, I'm really enjoying the the kind of like so, some kind of like quirks about the characters in the world. I shared a screenshot on Twitter during the week of like the the way they they teach you how to battle is kind of like there there's young guys who are part of the town's watch. And you are encouraged to challenge them to a duel by walking up to them and pressing a button. And that's the way you learn to fight. But after you lay out, I think, three of them in one go, uh, a cutscene plays out where they're all, like, fainted face down in the ground. And your character begins lecturing them about what they did wrong when you kicked their ass. Uh, which I, <laughs> I, I that, that, that tickled me. Um, but, yeah, a couple of hours in, it, it's charming. Like, I... <laughs> With the exception of Pokemon games, I find it hard to get myself heavily invested in a game that has turn-based combat. Uh, like, I like kind of in-the-moment action. Um, so the the kind of like the, the long turn-based strategic combat kind of, depending on the game, can really make me tune out early on. But I, I'm going to make more of an effort to try and get involved in, the, in this and figure out the systems and get a bit good at it because uh, so far, like, the music and, and the world building and just the, the story that seems to be getting set up um, is, is something that very much interests me. Is Octopath something that kind of... You as a as a fan of, of Final Fantasy in particular... Uh, is is it something that's piqued your interest that you kind of earmarked for a future purchase or was there something about it that didn't seem like your kind of thing yes it definitely it is a game that i've looked at and i feel like i would definitely enjoy it like if i really threw myself into it but it's also one of those ones where i know it's going to be a very sort of in-depth experience so i have this weird bubble of anxiety dave i might have discussed it with you before but like when i know like just as I'm starting a game that it's gonna probably take over like a, a week or two of my life like I always find it difficult to start just to get into the sort of run of it so I know at some point um 
I don't know, even if I have like a few days off work or something over the bank holiday, I will probably get Octopath Traveler. I'll probably play it and I'll probably really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, you've never been like a huge Final Fantasy guy, I know, for, and that is usually the reason that I've, that I've heard you give is like the combat doesn't massively appeal to you, which by the way is why you should totally play Final Fantasy twelve because it's all of that good stuff, but with a combat system that isn't turn-based so you would like it um so yeah i i am interested and at some point it will be on my radar um just because at the end of the day i think it looks like the sort of game that could be in contention not maybe not necessarily outstanding or whatever but uh for some of our categories on the game of the year maybe potentially which by the way is a podcast we'll have to record in about four months or so how's that for timing i know there you go there you go so yeah before then i will definitely get my hands on octopath traveler and i'm glad that you're enjoying it and yeah it sounds very intriguing to me uh the other game i've been playing a lot of it Jack, are you a Picross fan? I I don't even know what your kind of like interest level in in like straight up puzzle games is. Are are you a Picross guy? I've never played Picross. Uh, I've played like variations like Sudoku's and stuff like that, but I I've never played Picross, so can't really comment on it. It, it probably oh, okay. again would be something that would appeal to me. Yeah, I, I think so. You're, you're you're a man who likes numbers, and I you seem like, seeing as we tend to like the same things all the time, you seem like a guy who would like a, a simple puzzle game like that. Um, so, Picross, just for people who aren't familiar with it, the best way I can describe it is it's it's kind of like it 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 seems like a a second cousin to Sudoku. Um, there's a grid system that starts off with like um. It might be three, or it might be six by six square, um, and eventually it gets to like a ten by ten square and a twenty by twenty square. And instead of you having to figure out where the numbers one through nine, for example, will fit in the row, like in Sudoku, what you get is on the y-axis for a, a, a column or on the x-axis for a row, there will be a series of numbers. And say, for example, um, you have a, a row of 10 blocks and the number you get is 114. Uh, what that means is that in that row of 10, there is uh, three kind of sequences of blocks you need to shade in. A block on its own, another block on its own, and four blocks together. And by trying to kind of like figure out based on... So obviously the where you would go at the start is if anywhere says 10, that means every single block is shaded in. And you kind of extrapolate from the easiest ones to figure out where each uh, square needs to be filled or where some squares need to be X'd out because you're not you're not filling them in uh and basically those things then will eventually like the kind of the the rub is that it 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 builds some sort of picture but that like that's kind of just a a superficial thing on the front of it the whole point of it is uh to solve the puzzle uh figure out the patterns of squares to be filled in based on the the numbers that appear uh either along the top or on the side uh depending on whether you're going for a row or column it's a really kind of it's one of those uh puzzle games you can absentmindedly play while there's a show on while you're listening to a podcast that kind of just chills you out and focuses your mind it's one of those ones that i imagine 
is is in that you know there's like a ballpark of puzzle games like doing sudoku or something like that that older people uh tend to do to keep their mind sharp it, it definitely feels like that sort of a thing where like uh, once you kind of drop down into the zone with picross like you're solving puzzles like that um and sometimes they can be maddening and frustrating and you come back to them later and you see something you didn't early on uh you can complete a board uh like a uh, a 10 by 10 board i would say in about three minutes maybe less if you're on a real hot streak so the the puzzles themselves like they they zip along really quickly uh you, you move on to the next one very quickly so you never really get bored there's always a new challenge um the the way the game is it Picross, this is Picross s2 i'm talking about but the way it and Picross s which came out a few months ago uh are structured is that there's like a page of puzzles and you can attack them in any order you want. Um, but the last one on a particular page on the menu, you will not get any assists. There's a, a thing called Hint Roulette for all but one puzzle on a page where it will randomly fill in one row and one column if you want so that you can start from there. Um, but then uh, at the end, the, the very last puzzle, not only will it not let you do Hint Roulette, but as well, if you fill in a square that isn't supposed to be filled in, it won't tell you you've done it wrong. Uh, on every other type, on every other puzzle on a page, it will tell you immediately by Xing out that box that you've done it wrong. Um, that uh, uh, you're not supposed to fill that box in blue, so you can keep moving on, try to figure out where it's supposed to be. On the last puzzle, it won't tell you. So you have to, like, sometimes really, really try and trust your method and hope that you're right. Because if you get to the end and that thing doesn't kind of, like, fall into place and solve, uh, that means you fucked up somewhere along the line and may need to wipe the whole thing out and start again. Um, so I'd kind of recommend, like, maybe doing the hit roulettes at first, uh, but try do, try rely on them a lot less later because those end-of-page puzzles, if you've been kind of finding shortcuts the whole way along you're never going to be able to solve some of those end of page puzzles um it's a game that because the the puzzles are so quick um you get a real good sense of accomplishment just playing it for five or ten minutes or 20 minutes or whatever but because the because you're solving them so quick and because there's so many of them there's like um there must easily be a couple of hundred in it um i i haven't checked the exact count um because there's so many of them you can play it for a longer play session it's something you could either take on the train to work or or, or take on your commute or whatever or you could sit at home while you're watching a movie or, or watching tv after dinner or something like that and, and, and bash out picross for a while um the game this picross s2 I, I don't know how much picross s the original is on the store at the moment but picross s2 cost me less than 10 euro um, which for the amount of time I will get out of this game is pretty fucking good. Um, and it's a really simple UI and interface. It's really clean. The music is really kind of... I, I usually have it muted because I'm usually playing or listening to something in the background. Um, but the the music, whenever I have added on, is, is fine. Like, it, it's not bothersome or anything like that. Uh, yeah, Picross S2. It's, it's more the same if you had the first one. And both Picross S2 and S1 are, are good jumping on points uh, and, and have simple, uh, simplified tutorials to help teach you how to play Picross. I'd, I'd definitely heartily recommend both of them. Huh. Sounds good, mate. Uh, yeah, I think it's the sort of thing that... If somebody showed me it in person, I'd get into it. 
You know, mm. one of those mm-hmm. where it's like, hey, there's this thing. And then someone and, and someone explains it, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah that sounds cool. Well, that's, that's but then what... the difference between hey, here's this thing, and hey, here's this thing. Look at it. I'm doing this thing. You could do this thing yeah. too. And you're like, oh yeah. What what it actually talked me into it was I'd heard of Picross games a lot, and I, I Pokemon Picross was free on 3ds for a while. And I downloaded it, tried it, bounced off it because I I didn't have patience for a tutorial whenever I tried it, which was a mistake. But um, it was listening to Dan Riker talk about how much he fucking loves Picross games. Uh, and I was like, maybe I've, I've overlooked these games. And that's when I got Picross S. And I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is extremely my kind of shit. Because if you want a beacon of cultural sense, Dan Riker really is top of that list. <laughs> I know, right? Um, anyway, with that said, let's move on to the news. News on the mark! Uh, Jack, in the news this week, uh, we are, well, actually, this is technically from last week from our uh, our attempted podcast, but however, uh, Nintendo Switch sales are nearing the 20 million mark in just over 18 months. Um, they have shifted 1.88 million exactly, uh, bringing the consoles in the last year, bringing the consoles lifetime sales up to 19.6 million. Figures down slightly on the same quarter last year. Um, da, 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 uh, although that was just after the consoles launched during a period during which uh, they released Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and ARMS um, I think it's safe to say that the, the Switch is a bit of a success yeah just ever so slightly it's going pretty well for those crazy kids at Nintendo I I'm not sure if I'm uh, surprised by it or not I think it's one of those situations where Nintendo always promise an innovation. They always promise something creative and different. Uh, and I'd say they deliver through, like, what, half the time? And it was kind of like the, the Wii U was that sort of testing ground for what they were really trying to hit with the Switch. But uh, to me, the thing that makes it unique and, and excellent is the portability factor. To be yeah. able to bring true console gaming to a portable platform is the real captured innovation that so far Sony and Microsoft just haven't really seemed interested in getting involved in. Like, Mm -hmm. even peripherally, there's not a lot you can do with that. So it's an area of the market where they kind of already owned it. Like, they own handheld gaming. The PS Vita, like, barely exists. Like, there's probably, you know, tens of thousands of people that still play PS Vita worldwide, whereas now you've got X amount of, like, nearly 20 million Switches out there. So, I it, it was, I don't know if it was a specific strategy to target this market um, in this way, but it, it's really worked out for them. And, yeah, I, I'm happy because I love my Switch. I, I There are things that frustrate me about it. Still think Nintendo could open up the old archives and give us a little bit more than they're giving us with their new Switch Online offering. But, hey, I'm happy to uh, to be along for the ride and yeah. play all of the good new games and stuff that come out on it. Yeah, so, like, in addition to the... Like, it's impressive that they're nearly at 20 million. It's impressive that they've already passed the Wii U. Um it's impressive that they're that they're up to 19.6 million total lifetime but uh one thing from this story that i really um 
really cottoned onto was how impressive attach rates are um that being the the kind of like the percentage of people who own a console who will buy a game when it comes out so just if we're just talking about games that came on sale in the last few months uh, donkey kong country tropical freeze which bear in mind is just a port of a wii u game um albeit with funky kong in it uh, has already sold 1.4 million copies and that only came out in may mario tennis aces is a- that's because no one played it yeah and it's really <laughs> no good no one played it on and the it's wii really good it is uh mario tennis aces is already up to 1.38 million copies and that's only been on sale for a few weeks uh and nintendo labo between the two sets and bear in mind that, that those were a really expensive buy-in um for what they were uh, Labo is already up to 1.39 million units sold. Uh, so, like, what you're seeing is uh, a base of people who are, like, when the likes of a Mario Kart and uh, a Zelda and whatever come out, like, most people who own one are buying it. We saw great statistics going on there, where it was, like, for ages after the Switch came out, more people owned uh, Breath of the Wild for the Switch than actually owned Switches, because people who were going to own Switches when they could fucking find one were buying Breath of the Wild in advance. That's how excited they were for it. Uh, Mario Kart 8 sold, like, Gangbusters. Again, a game that was kind of hidden away on the Wii U, a fantastic game that no one played because no one had one um so people are out for those but even these smaller games like mario tennis aces isn't kind of like a marquee it's not mario odyssey it's not mario uh party even it's not smash brothers you're still getting a million and a half people in a couple of weeks going yeah i'll take a punt on that um tropical freeze again another wii u port you're getting a million and a half people on that and same with nintendo labo this crazy willy wonka style cardboard creation that they made Uh, and as well i saw this week that um in the first two or three weeks on sale uh, octopath traveler has already passed a million units um which is amazing uh not only showing not only showing the appetite for people to actually drop coin on games on the switch but on top of that as well jack it's shown that you aren't the only one that's craving more of these classic square style jrpg experiences there's definitely an audience that's being underserved out there uh i think even jim sterling was talking about it this week he's like the reason they bought it is because they're fucking hungry for that kind of game yeah, they are. They absolutely are. And anytime Square do stick to their sort of traditional, like, I don't know what's happened to Final Fantasy. Like, it's gone off the edge of being just complete wackiness now, um, and not in a good way either. But when they stick to their more traditional tried and tested format, people will buy into mm. it in spades. People are way more excited for the Final Fantasy VII remake than they are from anything else that Square are bringing out to do with any of their other Final Fantasy projects. Even though Final Fantasy XV's meta game has been pretty good, like with what they've done, it it still, if you look at it through the eyes of of being a classic Final Fantasy fan, it is a bit of a failure. So, it is a good thing to see this. There is a market for RPGs out there, and hell, it doesn't have to be Square that do it. It can be anybody. It can be anybody that's making like an interesting old school RPG. And I really can't think of many better platforms than than the Switch because. It's not an impressive, graphically amazing, fantastical game. You can just make a solid RPG with acceptable graphics. And if it has a good enough story, then people will buy into it. And yeah, over a million for Octopath Traveler, which I actually thought was a lot more of a sort of... 
you know, like fringy game that maybe sort of like people that are really into the video game industry would be playing. I didn't realize they'd be taking a million copies of it. I, that's awesome. In just a few weeks as well. Yeah, it's it's pretty staggering. I love it. Um, this is a story that may have uh, evaded a lot of people when uh, it came up. So Gran Turismo Sport, which by a lot of people's metrics was a bit of a failure for their Gran Turismo series when it came out uh, late last year, I think. Um they had a big july update uh, the version 1.23 patch and you thought okay they're they're an underdog here in as much as like they need to try and recover some ground um there's games coming out like onrush uh, and others that that are catching people's attention people are already forgetting that a gran turismo game came out last year even i had forgotten that it came out last year and it's it's that's kind of fucking wild uh, considering gran turismo is traditionally like a big system seller for playstation um so what have they decided to add in the july update to make it hip with the young people something that all the young people definitely love and no one's complaining about jack they added microtransactions into the game there weren't any before all the bad press happened at the end of last year and the start of this year about microtransactions and how poisonous they are and how we should get rid of them out of games and poly <laughs> polyphony digital saw that and went yeah, microtransactions, and didn't listen to the rest of the, the, the bad PR that was out about them. Um, so now there's, um, yeah, microtransactions that allow you to buy existing cars within the game. The headline edition is the all-new fictional track, the Circuit de Saint-Croix. Um, there's a bunch of cars that have been added, but yeah, it it's... It, it, microtransactions in general... Not not a huge fan, gotta say. Um, but there are those out there who will say, "Well, look, it's the kind of it doesn't offer people necessarily a huge competitive advantage. It it, it just allows them to buy a couple of cars that maybe you know the average professional working person with with not like with a bit of disposable income would rather unlock the car now for two pounds rather than you know grind away for." three or four hours uh is it a shades of gray issue this particular implementation for microtransactions for you or, or what's your take on on what gran turismo have done here it just doesn't really seem necessary to add it <laughs> and with such a a big chunk of time that's gone by like if it is part of the original strategy it's, it feels like something that you launch in line with the game and then you know gradually bring upgrades to but i i don't get why you wait such a long time to then drop this thing like if you're gonna do dlc packs do dlc packs but are people really complaining that they couldn't buy cars in game that they had to earn was there feedback from the audience to say that like was this a burning issue i'm guessing if you're a big enough fan of gran turismo and there's unlockables in the game you're gonna do it by yourself yeah uh, like if i'm those kind of things are like usually if the game is enjoyable it's incentive for me to keep playing the game uh, for me if i am tempted by a microtransaction to buy something that i could otherwise just play the game to unlock that to me is a bigger indicator that i'm not enjoying the game and that i feel like i need more content that's been gated for me to make it feel like i've bought an actual full and proper game and that 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 can't be good that sort of mindset can it yeah also like 
if you're going to get a bunch of people that are going to be like casual players that might be tempted to drop some money on DLC just to, I don't know, play online with their mates or just because they can't be asked. And there are people that have enough disposable income that when they play a game, they're like, can't be fucked to play this. I just want this card to fuck about. And that casual market exists within the first month or two. And then all of a sudden your like daily active user count just drops off a cliff. And why would you bring something into the game where the people that you would be earning the money from are the more casual players, like a year after its launch, when they're already gone and you're not really going to pick much money up from it? I mean, I could be wrong. I don't get to see their balance sheet, but it just seems like an odd strategy. Like, if you were going to monetize it and gut it with microtransactions, do it from day one. Uh, all they need to to complete the full gamut of of bad press uh, from last year is to include loot boxes as well, uh, and then they'll be absolutely laughing. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, moving on, well, what they need to bring out is a DLC gone in sixty seconds patch, and you know, oh, it. tune into the Popcorn Social this month for more on that. Um, the, well, the upcoming episode, should I say? Um, moving on. Uh, well-known terrible human being David Cage is in the news again. Um, himself and Quantic Dream have lost an employment court case. I don't know if you remember uh, myself and Mark talking about this oh, on the show. Oh, did before. they? The... Yeah. They um, lost it, did they? It's almost yeah. as if they were completely unreasonable in the first place. Indeed. So um, a bu- uh, there was an investigation that came out uh, from journalists at Le Monde, uh, CanRPC and Mediapart uh, that was published back in January. So that would have been when we talked about it on the show, on the show um, into a, a culture of uh, racism, sexism and harassment at Quantic Dream. Um, and the, the kind of the biggest accusations were leveled at David Cage and a guy called Guillaume de Fondomiere, who are the, the, the leaders of the team, and that they were kind of, uh, if not fostering, then at least turning a blind eye to this inappropriate behavior. A uh, bunch of, if you look at CanRPC's report, there's a bunch of examples of like uh, sexist and racist jokes. Uh, in, in this article from Eurogamer, they talk about there's like montages of staff members' faces photoshopped onto those of Nazi soldiers or of nude porn stars. And they were apparently posted up around the studio workplace. I don't know whether that was like they were physically printed up or they were like posted on an intranet of Quantic Dream. Um, David Cage uh, at the time said he was shocked by the allegations, uh, published a statement at the time. Um, and then, in an unprecedented move, as discovered by Kotaku in April, Quantic Dream began quietly trying to sue the publications, who are three of France's largest media companies, for publishing the reports. Uh, today's court decision, as detailed online uh, in a series of tweets from game cult journalist Nicholas Turkev, centers on the uh, the unusual act of employment law. Uh, it's a complicated and risky step. A French journalist with knowledge of the process explained it to me as a notification of termination made by an employee who considers themselves a victim. By enacting this step, a worker forfeits their employment rights and salary, but uh, can then petition for unfair dismissal. The process is used to expose failings in the workplace and leaves the worker's case in the hands of an independent labour court, which then decides whether the worker should be treated as they were di- as if they were dismissed or resigned. Basically, Jack, this is just a hell of a mess. Um, they, Quantic Dream came out, acted all shocked, and tried to take the moral high ground about it, and it's just massively blown up in their faces. 
Yeah, I, I just assume that journalists wouldn't have gone in on this if there wasn't enough evidence to really bring like a proper case against them. Like there must have been so many examples and like whether it's independently being tipped off by people or just things that other people that would have visited would have observed about the behaviors of the people that work there which it just just sounds like a bunch of i mean i i don't want to like generalize or, or stereotype but it just sounds like a bunch of out of control lads just making stupid things and just being incredibly inappropriate and unprofessional and i think the reaction for them was not to go on this like saving face publicity tour it was to say look our members of staff have wronged in the past we can see that and we're going to bring a code of conduct in and we're going to take these sort of things seriously and we're going to change the culture that would have been the smart play that would have been the right pr play especially in the current environment and they didn't do that they went the opposite way and it's blown up in their face and it's now another bad publicity bomb and another smear on the name of david cage sadly uh one too many to really trust him as a human at this point you would say uh indeed uh speaking of uh issues in in the games industry and journalism this was a crazy story that played out over last weekend um ign um the the biggest games journalism site in the world uh the big it's not the biggest games review website in the world anymore i believe GameSpot technically publish more reviews uh, than IGN, but it's still one of your brand names uh, to go to for video game reviews and coverage out there on this wide interweb. Um, they published their review of Dead Cells uh, over the weekend, which is apparently a very good uh, Metroidvania game. Uh, I've watched a couple of videos. Looks pretty good. Haven't played it. Um, the guy who reviewed it or wrote the text for the video review, uh, a guy named Philip Muchen who is an has an editorial position over there uh is one of the hosts of their nintendo podcast so he's proper kind of embedded in in ign he's a face Uh, he posts this and then uh, a few hours later um uh, a you a guy uh who runs a youtube channel uh called boomstick gaming uh went online uh, with a video pointing out that there were an awful lot of similarities between his review and this review and he did a video where he had side by side of his original dead cells video uh, which had been published uh, uh, several days beforehand uh, and ign's video and it starts off and you're like okay there's a couple of sentences here that kind of sound similar between the two of them And then as you listen further and he's playing excerpts from each one, one after the other, you start seeing entire sentence fragments or entire sentences, or even if it's not word for word, like the order of thoughts and the nature of those thoughts completely ripped out of Boomstick's gaming's review and into the IGN review uh, in a very, very like shameless fashion. Um he posted this up and he wasn't kind of like looking for blood necessarily. He was just like, Hey, IGN kind of ripped me off here. Like what, what do I do? What's the thing I should do here? Uh, the internet got a hold of it. Everything went crazy. Uh, IGN's head of reviews 
Dan Stapledon had been away on vacation while all this was happening and returned home uh, on Monday to this mess in full flow. Uh, and oh boy. He, yeah, he kind of came back and I will say, of the scandals that IGN have gone through this year, they've gone through, I think by my count, two... There's So there's two different sexual harassment investigation type situations in there. Uh, the former editor-in-chief got fired, uh, Steve Butts. Huh. Um, he got fired for sexual harassment. <laughs> and a guy called Vince Ingenito also got fired. But they, they dragged their feet on that and it required a staff walkout uh, to force I do something about Vince Ingenito. Um, so he was fired for sexual harassment. And then... There's been a lot of, there was another, I'm not going to mention the guy's name, but there was another suspicious departure from IGN over E3, not over E3, sorry, over Comic-Con weekend, where the dude was kind of like quietly pulled off all the IGN stuff he was hosting or appearing on, all his content started getting deleted, and then kind of, in a in a way that is not necessarily, but seems like a situation where everyone's agreed to say nothing, he... Uh, released a statement saying he's moved on and and that was kind of the end of it then and no one really like explained why or, or what it was that happened or anything like that so of all the mm. I can smell <laughs> yeah, a non-disclosure very much what it feels Dave. like even if that not is not necessarily the case it seems the way that was handled if he actually did leave of his own accord it was handled in a way that makes it very suspicious so I hope I like I hope nothing happened but man if he didn't like if nothing happened they handled that like a bunch of fucking idiots but of all those investigations and strange scenarios that IGN have encountered over the last year this is the one they reacted to the quickest Dan Stapleton as I said got back off his vacation walked into work within a couple of hours they fired the guy they took down the video immediately they investigated it and within that same day they fired him and apologized to the guy and like there's a lot of people saying that they'll probably kind of compensate boomstick gaming in some way for his thing being stolen and later in the week it's going to be the game is going to be re-reviewed authentically so this time and and put up on ign again jack Plagiarism is the cardinal sin in journalism, and this seems to be a pretty cut and dry case. Um, what do you think of IGN's reaction to this? Uh, what, what do you think of the whole situation here? Dave, plagiarism is a cardinal <laughs> sin in journalism, as you well know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's they were kind of had no choice. There's sometimes where somebody if this had kind of been picked up i think before the review had gone public or before anybody had pointed it out then maybe a stern talking to could have been sufficient but when something like this breaks and people's reaction to it it kind of almost informs like it leaves them no choice and it informs the decision that much more i just i mean obviously it's a very difficult industry to work in now because content you're just a content generator at all times if you're working in media but i think to me if i'm going to play a game and i'm going to review a game i don't really want to take in other reviews of it 
and it's the same with movies or music or anything i want to experience it myself i don't want anyone else to point out any themes that i might notice i just want to take it in and i want to give my impressions so i think maybe he might have just done what say under some tight deadlines or he'd watched a review and then didn't realize it i don't know what the story is behind it but they were left with no choice uh here and i think again it's it's 2018 it's it's kind of one of these things that when things turn public like that and whip round on you now it's just like right quick action has taken and the person's gone from the project and that's pretty much what happened and uh, i kind of agree with it yeah no i i think they've done in fairness and that was pretty much the like there was nobody going oh they should have done a more thorough investment there was no one really uh backing this mutant guy uh everybody kind of went when that statement was made the right oh, yeah f- fair enough kind of like almost semi-surprised that something would be dealt with so efficiently and so quickly um moving on from that uh there was a massive uh half hour long uh nintendo direct today all about smash brothers ultimate which is coming out later this year um the the kind of the cliff notes of it uh we've got uh simon belmont from castlevania is going to be a new character in this game as is king k rule from the donkey kong country series uh uh, Simon Belmont will also have an Echo Fighter, which is what they call when like someone has an alternate character as like their second outfit or skin. Um, uh, Richter Belmont, he'll be uh, the the Echo Fighter for Simon. So you've got a good bit of Castlevania in there, a nice little bit of Donkey Kong Country. Um, they started talking about like the stages and the music. So there's like a Dracula's Castle stage now that's part of the Castlevania crossover. Uh, that one stage this is mind-boggling jack when you think of like what smash brothers games are and how quick and uh, frenetic they are um on that one dracula's castle stage on super smash brothers ultimate they have uh reorchestrated or remixed 34 different pieces of music from the castlevania games just just for that one stage (laughs) wow um they, they started breaking it down by the numbers and there is something in excess of about 900 different tracks of music on this game and apparently if you include like different pieces of um like menu music or or uh like menu noises and things like that it bumps up well over a thousand there's a lot of audio on this game um it's also got like again they they point out every smash brothers character from every single uh game previously so it's the biggest smash brothers of all time and now you can add in ripley who was announced at e3 and these three characters here today and there will probably be a couple more uh before smash brothers ultimate come out but one thing i wanted to talk to you about uh, one of the reasons i brought this up because i i don't know if you're a smash brothers guy but the reason i i bring this up is because there's a feature in this game i don't know if you saw this direct today there's a feature in this game that has me very interested for um a utility i hadn't thought about on the switch but must obviously be built into the system so when they were talking about all the music and how there's all there's 900 different tracks tracks on this they started talking about how oh within super smash brothers you can start building playlists of music and i was like why the fuck would you want to build like they showed like workout playlist and things like that i was like why would you want to build a workout playlist while you're fucking sitting around playing smash brothers uh simple reason for that is uh they revealed that you can 
put when you're playing Smash Brothers, if you put uh, the Switch in rest mode or, uh, while it's in uh, handheld mode, if you put it to sleep, music will still play on it. So the Switch has MP3 player functionality built into it when the thing is off. That like it it must be obviously in the system architecture it's not like this one game card for super smash brothers is able to overwrite the architecture of the switch and tell it to play music while it's asleep so this obviously must be either something they dicked around with and just left in there that's being utilized now by sakurai and the boys uh for smash brothers or it's something that oh eventually when like media apps start coming to the switch uh like a an mp3 or or podcast app may well be something that they're exploring the possibilities of what what do you think about all that so there's a lot a lot to drop on you in one go there yeah (laughs) yeah that's a lot to think about um i'm still pissed off that roy is not in Uh, there because i mean where's roy you know uh me and mark me and Mark are Roy's boys, and we always will be. Um, to the point where, when we used to play the original Mario Kart on Wii U, um, Mario Kart 8, obviously, on Wii U, uh, we both would choose Roy. And quite happily, just both be Roy, just Roy it around the track, Roying it up. Uh, but yeah, I I think it's interesting, the, the functionality you just talked about. And, and I wonder if then, do we see apps like Spotify on there? I mean, I, I don't think we're going to no. see Apple Music on there, but that that would be interesting because all all other consoles have that integration now of, of Spotify, and I I don't see why not. And then you get to the point where you're like, can we Netflix on there? Can we Amazon Prime Video on there? Uh, and then that basically is just turning your Switch into a hybrid tablet. So yeah, that does intrigue me a lot as for smash it's really <laughs> ultimate isn't it like if they're going to that if they're going to that length of extreme to 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 remix all of this music from castlevania and bring in these like ridiculous roster of characters they are just taking everything they could possibly throw at the wall and and make it stick with this smash and respect because that's what the people want i mean like i'm already seeing gamecube controllers being brought out for it so people can immediately get into the competitive side of it for the for the serious people and then for people like me who just want to play it and mash some buttons and have a good time like it looks like everything that i need from a smash game so yeah interesting stuff uh from nintendo really i didn't see the direct but i did read the articles because uh yeah, yeah i have a job so <laughs> i couldn't I watch it, it, I it was watched on it in a time. hurry as i was setting up here uh, and yeah, it was good. Although Nintendo need to get better at editing their YouTube videos because there's literally at the start of the YouTube uh, video <laughs> that that is the direct from earlier. There's literally half an hour of dead air. Oh man, they need to do it at a time in the evening where people can watch it, yeah. like me. I'm just all about okay. myself, obviously. But yeah, please don't do it in the middle of the day when I'm at work. Do it mm. at like six or seven in the evening when I can leisurely watch it and get excited about Castlevania. Uh, here's a game that I don't know if you ever, if you were a fan of it, Jack, but it seems like it might be up your street. Uh, we knew it was coming, but uh, the classic fighting and fashion JRPG, The World Ends With You, is coming to the Switch. Uh, this we knew, but we finally have our release date, and it's October 12th. Uh, very stylish 
JRPG, obviously because it was JRPG uh, when it came out when I was a teenager and I wasn't a JRPG guy, this completely passed me by, but it's got a real cult following and it's good to see it coming soon. Another game that the Switch can add to its roster coming into that Christmas season. Um, are you a World Ends With You guy? Did, does this, if you're not, does the, this trailer or the, the aesthetic do anything for you? I, I did like The World Ends With You. I didn't um, play an awful lot of it, but like I, I watched, I, it's one of these games that I've like been intrigued by, but never intrigued enough to, to go and buy it and, and play it myself. But I, I watched quite a lot of it. And I've got to say, it is one of the more stylistically interesting games in that JRP genre, uh, JRPG genre. That's very <laughs> difficult to say quickly, mate. Um, so yeah, I, I this would be the sort of thing that if it's reasonably priced when it launches on the Switch, I would definitely get involved in it. But I, I feel... My my thing with this, when I initially saw it as well, The World Ends With You, is that this is what people that don't play JRPGs think all <laughs> yeah. JRPGs look like. You know, just like wacky, like sort of bizarre anime feel to all the characters and the gameplay and stuff. So yeah, I, I, I'd i like to, to get involved, but it, it's kind of the price point for me. Like, am I going to get it straight away? If it's at a reasonable price point, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely get involved and, and have a look. And I just I think it's one of my favorite titles for a game ever as well. I just I think it's a really cool title. It sounds like it should be like the title of like a My Chemical Romance <laughs> indeed, album indeed. or something. Um there's a couple of Nintendo clarification stories that I'm kind of going to ball up together here in in one go. And uh, Nintendo is that Toadhead <laughs> is actually oh, his hat. I, I, they I re-clarified I that. <laughs> God, myself and Mark nearly came to blows over that one. Um, and let's not forget the my favorite clarification of all time that Yoshi's actual name is T Yoshisaur Munch Koopas. Um. <laughs> yeah, that is a good. But the fact that Mario's Sorry, name is full Mario, name, Mario, Mario Jumpman is still, Mario to me one of the more painful things when that was canonized. Um, we we got a couple of stories here. Uh, the first is uh <laughs> has to do with the Legend of Zelda. Now, Jack, you know. On this program, we're big fans of Legend of Zelda. Our podcast is a pun based on a game from the series. Um, we love the game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just got that. I know, right? Nice. Uh, well done, guys. We love well the done. series. We love the games. But there has been this thing because everybody loves the idea of like comic book style continuity and creating a big universe. That over the years there has been a retroactive attempt by Nintendo and by people online to try and cobble together a a solid timeline for Zelda. Which is horseshit of the highest order. Uh, Most of these games came out prior to that being a consideration. So there was no, like, there was no caring for, oh, where does this fit in the delicate chronology of Legend of Zelda? And because of that, trying to make a solid timeline of it that makes any sense is absolute nonsense of the highest order uh everybody should pick themselves up a copy of the hyrule historia for a good laugh as as to how they try and figure out uh the timeline there and how the timeline splits in three at ocarina of time and how uh, it's just fucking ridiculous but this seems like uh both like it kind of makes sense with the way the game was that the story of the game was told and also seems like a very lazy way to go yeah fuck um point at a point on the timeline that's where it is 
Uh, Nintendo came out this year uh, and said that uh, Breath of the Wild is the last game uh, chronologically. Not like there won't be games in the future that come out that are set after Breath of the Wild, but of the games that have occurred so far, it is the furthest along in the timeline. Uh, To quote them, long, long after any titles released to date. Um, Which makes sense when you think about like how long Link had been asleep for and that the game um, chronicles an awful lot of Zelda history. Like according to this Eurogamer article, over 10,000 years of Hyrule history is explained throughout the course of this game. Um, it makes sense that it's the end of the timeline, but Jesus Christ, could people stop caring about it like it makes sense or that it was intended to be one sort of unified and sensical timeline? And then before I throw over to you, Jack, the other thing Nintendo came out and clarified this week that I think has caused a fucking storm uh, online is how to pronounce the, the acronym for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which most people would say NES, but they have come out and said no, uh, they would say NES or Americans, a lot of them say NES. Um, it turns out that the entire time we were supposed to be saying NES. Yeah, this is like the GIF GIF guy, though. Like, no one gives a fuck about you, guy. Everyone yeah. calls it GIF. No one cares how you pronounce it. We're going to continue to pronounce it the way we want to. Once you create something that becomes part of the the, the lexicon, you know, like the the... Uh, zeitgeist of video game society and everybody is saying NES then no one is going to say NES but you know what there will be the pedantic amongst us who are like right I now need to change that and they will go around correcting everybody which makes me kind of want to say NES even more Um, and I realise I sound like Mark right now so I'm going to pivot into into Breath of the Wild Uh, it doesn't fucking matter really does it what it is in the timeline like who cares um for a start like they, on, the clue is uh, in the title to... of all the zelda games isn't it yeah yeah um the... oh wait sorry i feel like you may have just dropped out massively but i was going to say the legend of zelda <laughs> the point of a legend is that it's a mythical tale it doesn't have to make sense it doesn't have to be real it's it's not like yeah that's it that's true. yeah it doesn't have to be like it can itself be just, to just do something as simple as era. say hey link's a time lord and be done with us um yeah fuck moving it on like, to... oh and he's got a blue jacket now oh yeah, yeah. cool Moving on to our, our, our final story of the week here. Uh, and myself and Jack are no strangers to a football game. Uh, and FIFA 19 is coming out in just over a month. Uh, and I must say, my friend, uh, this is the... We obviously are pals. It's a shame that a body of water separates us for almost the entire year, except for one of us goes to visit the other. And this is something that really makes me regret we're not able to do, like, uh, couch multiplayer or couch co-op. Because FIFA 19 has unveiled a a series of new modes, um, being survival mode and house rules mode. Let me just read here from the Eurogamer and kind of, like, explain what the story is here. EA Sports has expanded and revamped the standard kickoff for FIFA 19 adding a survival mode and letting you turn off the referee for years the FIFA games have let you jump straight into a friendly match via a quick kickoff but it was limited 
uh, in that all you could play was a friendly. In FIFA 19, the new kickoff lets you pick from a raft of modes and tweak the settings. You can play some of the licensed matches EA Sports has for FIFA, such as the FA Cup Final, Champions League matches. Uh, this on its own adds some variety to the standard kickoff experience, but accompanying different types of matches, you can pick to play a best of series, so best of three games, best of five games. You can play a two-leg match, but that was in previous FIFA games. More interesting here is the survival mode. In survival mode, when you score a goal, one of your players chosen at random, apart from the goalkeeper, is sent off. The game continues in that fashion. You score, you lose a player, and so on. What's cool about it is it makes... uh, what. What's cool about it is scoring makes the game harder for you. So there's a strategy to proceedings. Do you score early or late on? So there's kind of like a strategy. Is it like, will I score a couple of goals, lose a couple of players, and then try and just like park the bus and shut up shop? Or will I try and defend for ages and get a late goal and keep my full complement on the pitch for as long as possible? A pretty cool... Um, take some say it's the response to battle royale mode you know i wouldn't say and Eurogamer doesn't say it either that it's quite that but it's certainly uh it's certainly an interesting situation it adheres to the rules of real life football and that the match is abandoned if each if a team has fewer than seven players so to win automatically you need to score five goals and thus see five of your players leave the game um there's also yeah so most fun though is the new house rules mode for kickoff here you can choose from a number of preset match types including no rules with the ref turned off and there's no offsides no fouls you can effectively play like leads but don't have to worry about getting anyone sent off oh heavy shot uh you can play where you can play a mode where only goals scored with headers or volleys count um no rules is a huge amount of fun according to this there's like you can just basically just change the the rules you can change a kind of like um i think you can add a card limit uh the game now uh as a whole starts tracking stats it really seems like more so than than other years and it could be just because there's no great technological leap this year that they've gone into full kind of like modes and gameplay this this to me jack feels like the most they've done to uh, make the playing with your mates in the house experience better in a long time. Yeah, possibly. Ever. <laughs> like, this is the weirdest thing they've done, maybe maybe ever, in the sort of FIFA being taken seriously as an art form age, like it seems to have done for the last decade or so. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. It's, it's a great idea. It's a great take. Why not do something like that? I, You know, remember when FIFA yeah. Street was a thing? Why not bring that back, have that as a mode? I, I feel like FIFA does need to offer a bit more diversity of options just because it is it is becoming harder and harder to justify. Like, I bought this FIFA for, like, 20 quid, the last one that came out in a, in a sale a good four or five months after it came out because it's just harder and harder to justify paying well, full-price game money for something like FIFA. You're, you're talking the to the wrong guy here. Like, FIFA is my stress reliever. It's my heroin. Um, it's something that, like, if I'm listening to a podcast or I'm watching a TV show on my laptop, I am good enough at this point at FIFA that a lot of it is muscle memory and it's just something for me to do. It's my, my chill-out game, my, my kind of, like, when there's no games coming out, I always go back to FIFA. And, and I recognize that I'm the outlier yeah, there. I was I, once you. I, I don't really play Ultimate Team or anything like that, so obviously, uh, like, 
keeping myself occupied with just a with just like career mode and the odd online game is very exceptional when you look at the average profile of FIFA players and what they're doing nowadays. Uh, but I, I'll take that, you know, that I, that I'm the exception rather than the rule. And uh, yeah, your your point is definitely valid for people who aren't like hardcore locked in with FIFA running through their veins. It does when they don't change something year after year. Um, it becomes hard to justify. Uh, like for young kids, obviously the thing that keeps them coming in is like, oh, up to date kits and stuff like that. Like I remember being a young kid reading like Match Magazine and stuff like that. And up-to-date kits was an important thing, like, for kids then. Like, even actually owning the up-to-date kits was important for kids as well. Um, But as you, again, as you grow older, as you get to our age, Jack, you realise that there's very kind of, like, the, the, the tweaks sometimes are so slight that it's only someone who's playing it as much as me or more. Uh, could get something out of it if it's not something you like playing all the time uh, it's hard to justify like 70 80 euro a year for that game yeah i was like you once i was i used to play fifa i would buy it every year it'd be the most um excited i would get usually like with multiplayer games i got super good at it i used to always lurk in division one when i would do like ranked games and stuff like i was crazy good at it and then like i I got into ultimate team a bit and then i I didn't really like it after that ultimate team kind of killed my enthusiasm for the brand of fifa and i just fell off i'd say about 14 15 i just stopped playing it as much as i I used to and and now i yeah i barely really look at, at fifa anymore i'll pick it up i'll play a couple of games online have a bit of a laugh with it you know, get beaten by people that are better than me, like you are now. Um, and hey. yeah, that'll be it, really. Uh, I can't get as I can't get as good as I as I used to be because I, it would it would require way too much effort. Mm. And yeah, I I feel like EA is so unimaginative with their yearly properties because I used to love Madden just the same. Don't really buy Madden as much as as I used to. Um, and yeah, I I think anything that gives people a reason. To, to spend the money is, is better than nothing because it <sighs> say all you want about uh, about what it is dave but the reality is if that's your heroin like th- my methadone got me off it and made me realize <laughs> what it what i was paying for which was the same experience yeah. every fucking year with with a slightly uh, updated anyway that, that's gonna do it for the news this week um 